Good morning, everybody. My name is Luke Hazelmeyer. I'm one of the executive pastors here. A month ago when I spoke, our projector had gone out, and so we had to use a paper handout for slides and stuff. Well, I had so many people come up to me and say, I loved it that we had this paper resource that I decided to do it again, even though we're going to still have slides up here. So uh, ushers, when you get a chance, if you want to come back up here, I've got a paper handout here that has scriptures, points, and quotes on it. You don't obviously only take one if you want it. Don't take it if you don't want it. Save, some, save at least a few trees as we kill trees. But take one if you want it. You can just pop your hand up when the ushers come down your, your row and... Um, you'll have it. Thank you. Thank you. You can give half of those to someone else. So as this is happening, I think we can multitask why don't you all stand? <laughs> this is either going to be okay or a train wreck. We'll see. I wanted to start by reading the passage of Scripture for the morning. We are in Matthew 4, verses 18 through 25, and this message, uh, the series is called Following the King. And the message is titled, Leaving Everything Behind. So let's start just by reading our passage for the morning. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called... P Sorry, you don't have to read it with me. <laughs> I, <laughs> this has happened before. Um, sorry, read it with me is kind of just a saying, you know, like... I'm going to read it. You listen and, you know. I love how participatory of a church we are, though. It's great. <laughs> okay. So, I'm going to start over. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going, from, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus was going about in all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness among the people. And the news about him spread throughout Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and severe pain, demon-possessed, people with epilepsy, and people who were paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Thanks. You can be seated. So I want to start by doing a quick little activity. And basically what I want to do is I'm going to read a series of scriptures. So four to be exact. I'm going to read a series of scriptures 
And as I'm reading these scriptures, I want you to be thinking to yourself, how well do these scriptures that I'm hearing rep, uh, describe what it means to follow Jesus, okay? Uh, without any other context, let me go ahead and just read them. The first one, so as you're listening to these, how well do these describe what it looks like to follow Jesus? John 8, 12, then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. John 4, 13 and 14, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never be thirsty, but the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. Matthew 8, 11, 28 through 30, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is comfortable and my burden is light. And lastly, Luke 15, 20 through 24. So he, the prodigal son, set out and came to his father. But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, slaughter it, and let's eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. How well do those scriptures represent what relationship with Jesus looks like? Thanks, babe. If you had to give it a number between 1 and 10, 10 being that gives you a very clear look at what it looks like to follow Jesus, would you give it a 10? Would you give it a 1? With that in mind, let's read another set of scriptures, and I want you to ask yourself the same question. So here's the second category of scriptures, Luke 9, 23. And he was saying to them, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself Take up his cross daily and follow me. Luke 14, So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Matthew 10, 22, And you will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. And Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. A little bit quieter on that category. How well does that set of scriptures describe, in your opinion, what it looks like to follow Jesus? What it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus? And really, the question I want to be asking you right now is, which list best describes how you most often think about your relationship with Jesus? Is it the first category, which is all about lightness and fulfillment and rest and forgiveness, love and grace? Obviously, all amazing things that certainly have to do with, that, are, uh, that you've experienced when you follow Jesus. Or is it daily denial of self, giving away all you possess, being hated by everyone, hating your own mother, father, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, and leaving everything behind to follow Jesus? 
Now, of course, it's not an either or, it's a both and, right? But what I fear right now is that for many of us, and absolutely myself included, I can probably speak for Wilson and Van too, for all of us, what I fear is that there is an imbalance in how we view our relationship with God. That it's not in the balance that Jesus would have it be in for us. I think that we love the light and the fulfillment that comes with our relationship with God. We just experience such purpose, but we're not so quick to be excited about the daily denial of self. I think we're all about the rest that we receive because this world's so stressful. I just receive rest in my relationship with God. We're all about the forgiveness, but the giving away all you possess and the being hated by everyone, eh, not so much. You know, we're all about the love and the grace of the uh, prodigal father and that beautiful picture of what it looks like for God to accept us even in our mess. We're all about that, but are we willing to leave everything behind to follow Jesus like the original disciples did? And the reason this is important is that what we could accidentally fall into if all we talk about are, you know, the happy, fun qualities of following Jesus is we could fall into a relationship with God where it's primarily about what I get out of God, not what God gets out of me. Where it's really just about what I get out of God. I get some love, I get some fulfillment, I get some acceptance, I get some grace. And that's it. And you know what? That's the foundation. That's the starting place. But what that's supposed to launch us into is a life of radical submission and surrender to the kingdom and to the gospel. Laying down our lives for the mission of Jesus. So I believe God wants us to evaluate our walk with him this morning. And I do think he's challenging us, not with anger in his eyes or condemnation or shame, of course, but I do think he's challenging us this morning to take an honest look at what our following of Jesus looks like right now. Do we see the first list categories only or the second list too? And of course, what I'm not saying is that what God's will for us today would be to quit our jobs, abandon our families, leave behind all of our responsibilities and do itinerant ministry in the greater Cincinnati area like Jesus did. I'm not saying that. Um, But I do believe that being a part of the mission of Jesus will cost us something. It will cost us something. And I think God wants us all just to take one step of growth towards that part of following Jesus this morning. Just to find one way, don't, you know, again, not everything, just one way we can take a step of growth and start following Jesus in a way that doesn't just benefit and give us joy and give us hope and give us excitement, but joins in with his mission to advance the kingdom on the earth. So I want to read again just the first four verses of our passage, Matthew 4, 18 through 22. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. 
And he said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat with their father Zebedee mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is really a fascinating scene for a couple of reasons. One, Jewish rabbis did not typically or hardly ever call people to follow them in the first century Middle East. What typically happened was a Jewish rabbi who had been trained and actually who had discipled or um, apprenticed or been discipled by another rabbi would kind of start his own ministry And then as he was ministering and teaching and traveling and speaking, people would see what he was doing and hear his message and then say, hey, I would like to become one of your followers. And then this rabbi would look at all of like the applicants, if you will, and choose the best and the brightest of the potential followers. And then those would get to come and be his disciples. So Jesus is turning everything on its head right now when he's actually recruiting He's actually going after and finding and saying, will you follow me? And he says this to fishermen who probably weren't, you know, professionally trained in the Jewish religion, in Judaism. And so another way that Jesus is doing something that we wouldn't expect. And what I find fascinating is that, oh, and then one more thing I wanted to say. Um, it it kind of sounds like this from this passage that Jesus and the disciples here didn't know each other. They did know each other. We knew that they knew that Peter and Andrew and John and James knew who Jesus was from the Gospel of John. But it was kind of just like they had seen him around. They had maybe heard some of the things he was saying. Um, it's not like they were super close friends or anything. Um, And so Jesus came to them and said, will you follow me? And Peter, Andrew, James, and John followed him. And what it meant for them in that moment was leaving everything from their past life behind. Leaving behind their nets means leaving behind their career, leaving behind their families, leaving behind everything to follow Jesus. And so I'm about to get into my first point. Um... And all of my points are going to have to do with this idea of leaving everything behind to follow Jesus. What does it mean for us in 21st century America to leave everything behind to follow him? So my first point, leaving everything behind to follow Jesus is prioritizing the mission of Jesus over career or over everyday responsibilities. This is one of the costs of following him. It means that what I spend my nine to five or what I spend my days primarily doing, whether it's school or you're a stay-at-home parent or you're working, whatever you're spending your days doing, the mission of Jesus comes ahead of that in terms of priority. The mission of Jesus is the first priority. Great quote from a commentator on this passage emphasizes this point. This is from France. This call story portrays a sudden and complete change of lifestyle involving leaving both work and family. 
Now, details later in the story suggest a modification of this impression of total renunciation, but in 1927 through 29, we shall be reminded of the radical disassociation which their discipleship entailed. The repetition of similar language with regard both to the call of Matthew in 9.9 and the abortive call to the rich man in 19.21 and 22 shows that Matthew's understanding of discipleship was ideally of giving up everything to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is not just something we do on the side. Like, I got my hobbies, I go to work, I have my family, and I do a little bit of Jesus following. No, following Jesus is the, is the priority. It's the, it becomes the most important aspect of my life when I say yes to him. Now, I do want to offer a caveat that the mission of Jesus, while it is the priority of your everyday life, it is not divorced from your everyday life. It's not like you have your career and then you have the mission of Jesus. No, like, where if you, for those of you who work, your job is your mission field. Your job is where God is calling you to advance the kingdom, to um, do all the things that Jesus did. If, if you are a stay-at-home parent, your home is a discipleship training school. <clears throat> if you're at school, if you're, if you're a student, uh, your classmates and your teachers, are, your professors are your mission field. So it's not like um, I'm saying that your career can't be part of God's call for you to be involved in his mission. But what I am saying is that the mission is the priority first. And if you commit to the mission of the Lord, he might say, okay, for now your assignment is this particular job and this particular career or this particular role, but who knows? Maybe he would decide to switch it up at some point. And the priority should always be following his leading and how he's calling us to participate with his mission. So I want to encourage you two practical things you could do to actually make this happen are one, start doing one thing to bring the kingdom of God at your workplace. And it could be as simple as routine prayer. Every day at the same time for five minutes, pray for your coworkers. Or if you're a stay-at-home parent or you're in school, find a way to do a similar kind of thing. Start bringing the kingdom in one way or one more way in your um, everyday life. And then secondly, prioritize the thing you've been procrastinating. So the thing that God's been putting on your heart to do, you know he's been calling you to ask your neighbors to dinner forever, or you know that he's been wanting you to invite that person out for coffee or to start serving in this ministry, whatever it might be, but you've just felt too busy, I'm just too busy, I got too much going on, and so I haven't been doing this thing. Put a stake in the ground and say, no, I'm going to do that thing before church next Sunday. That's what it looks like to prioritize the mission of Jesus. Let's, let's skip. We, so we just did 18 through 22. We're going to skip to 25, and I'll explain why in a second. Matthew 4, 25. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Isn't it interesting that it wasn't just Peter, Andrew, James, and John that followed Jesus, but we read here that the crowds followed Jesus too. He didn't just have these four followers. He had tons of followers at this point in the story. But what was the difference between James, John, Peter, and Andrew and the crowds that followed him? 
The difference was, for the crowds, it was a temporary commitment to follow him. It was a commitment, as long as you are exciting and I'm getting something out of this, I'm going to follow you. But once this isn't fun anymore, peace. (laughs) And so that leads into my second point. Leaving everything behind to follow Jesus is a continually made decision. The decision to leave everything behind is not just a one-time commitment. It's a daily commitment. It's a daily decision. When I was 19, I was full of anger and pride and um, violence and hate. And my life was just going, was getting worse and worse, going down into, a, into deeper darkness with every passing month. And that's where I met Jesus. And when I met Jesus in that place, I knew that there was stuff I was going to have to give up to start following him. And some of it I gave up right away, but I specifically remember about a month into me starting to follow Jesus, I was reading my Bible, and the Lord convicted me of anger that I had in my heart towards women in general. I had anger in my heart towards women just due to a, some heartbreak that I had experienced earlier on in, in my teenage years, and I had been carrying this anger. And I heard the Lord say to me specifically, Luke, if you want to keep following me, you're going to have to let that go too. And so I let that go too. I specifically remember the moment. We're like, yep, I can't, can't hold this anymore. And so that was amazing and beautiful. And I'm sure a lot of you in this room have a similar story where you think back to when you first really committed your life to following Jesus, all of the stuff that you had to let go of um, and leave behind to start following him. But the thing is, because we emphasize that moment where we said, where we accepted Christ so much, we start to think that that's the only time we leave stuff behind. We just leave stuff behind at that moment and then we coast until we get to heaven, right? (laughs) No, following Jesus is constantly figuring out what else you need to leave behind (laughs) to follow him. It's not just this one-time thing. And and so that was 19-year-old Luke, 31-year-old Luke, There might be, I'm not clinging to anger or promiscuity or violence anymore, but maybe I'm clinging to comfort and routines. Maybe I'm clinging to my job, to my reputation, to money and wanting things. Maybe I'm clinging to busyness and just wanting to stay busy and feeling like all the different responsibilities in my life are the things that I primarily need to focus on. And maybe those are the things that 31-year-old Luke, Jesus is saying, you got to leave this behind to follow me too. This is why in John 8, Jesus says in verses 31 and 32, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We primarily like to look at the second part of that passage, but look at the first part again. If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. What is Jesus' word? His word, it's not just what he's saying or a teaching. You know, his word is his message for what this life is supposed to be. It's like his way of life, basically. And what John is saying here is if, that, or what Jesus is saying here in the book of John is that if you want to continue, if you want to truly be my disciples, continue in my way of life. Continue in my word, in the good seasons, in the hard seasons, 
in the times of busyness and in the times of less busyness, continue in my way of life. And so that's what following Jesus looks like, continuing in his word. Now, giving stuff up doesn't sound fun at all. (laughs) It sounds like a big bummer. But what I have found in my life is that every time I pay a price for Jesus, even though there's initial pain in paying the price or giving whatever it is up, fresh passion and zeal and excitement for God fills me. And for any of you in the room who have been dealing with stagnation lately, feeling like your walk with him has stagnated, like you're not feeling that same fire that you used to feel for God, I'm telling you, figuring out whatever he is calling you to let go of next and letting go of it is very likely going to bring a lot of that fire back. I like how Bill Johnson from Bethel says, fire falls on sacrifice. Fresh fire is going to fall on your sacrifice. Okay, so now let's go back to verses 23 and 24. Read those again from Matthew 4. Jesus was going about in all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness among the people. And the news about him spread throughout Syria and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and severe pain, demon-possessed, people with epilepsy and people who were paralyzed, and he healed them. So that passage is, you can think of it as a thesis statement for the ministry of Jesus, that proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, teaching in their synagogues, and healing every disease and every sickness among the people and casting out demons, that's kind of like the thesis statement. That, is a, that gives us a big picture look at what the ministry of Jesus was all about. And over the next few years, the disciples, not only James and John, Peter and Andrew, but the rest of the apostles and the other disciples that were following Jesus, they would go from watching Jesus do this ministry of teaching, proclaiming and healing and freeing, they would go from watching it to being sent out by Jesus to do it and coming back and getting feedback and then eventually being commissioned by Jesus to continue this ministry on earth, empowered by the Holy Spirit after Jesus ascends back to heaven. And so this leads into my third point, that leaving everything behind to follow Jesus is orienting your life around doing what he did. In other words, a disciple of Jesus is kind of like an apprentice of Jesus, So maybe some of you in here are electricians' apprentices or even apprenticeship in plumbing or in some other form or fashion. And apprentices, what they do is they kind of team up with an expert, learn everything they can from that expert, and eventually go and do what that expert was doing. Another way it's put, I love this quote from John Mark Comer, the English word that does the best job of capturing all that's in the package of Talmudin, this is the Hebrew word for disciples, uh, 
is this word apprentice. To follow a rabbi was to apprentice under a rabbi. I had, I would call it an apprenticeship that I had earlier on in life. I was an intern at another vineyard in the student ministry, and I was there. I got to sit in the planning meetings. I got to have personal mentorship from the high school pastor. I got to um, lead some projects myself. I got to see how they did everything. I was apprenticing to be a youth pastor at, at Vineyard Cincinnati. And, um, and orienting my life around learning how to do youth ministry is what I was doing. I was spending my life learning how to do youth ministry. Now, obviously, the Lord had different plans for me, although I still have a big part of my heart for youth ministry. But that metaphor of apprenticeship is just such a powerful one for us to think about in our following of Jesus. We are apprentices of Jesus. Jesus taught taught others the way, or in other words, Jesus made disciples. And so we are apprenticing under him to make disciples. Jesus healed the sick and freed the demonized. We are apprenticing under Jesus to heal the sick and free the demonized. Jesus preached the gospel. We are apprentices under Jesus to preach the gospel. Now, the way that Jesus' apprenticeship differs from normal apprenticeship is that, one, you never actually stop being an apprentice of Jesus. We're always going to be his apprentice. We're always going to be learning from him and doing what he did and what he is doing. But also, you don't have to wait to start doing this stuff as an apprentice of Jesus. If you are sitting in this room and you say yes to Jesus for the first time this morning, you can go to lunch and lead your server to Christ today. You don't have to wait until you've had a year of training on blah, 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 blah. Like, you can start doing this stuff immediately as an apprentice of Jesus. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says this. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the great commission This is the point at which Jesus is giving the primary marching orders for what his mission advancing on the earth looks like. And what does it look like? Go make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you. And so in one sense, we are those that are being made disciples, learning how to obey Jesus. That's our apprenticeship. But just as important is that we are the ones who are actually called to go make other apprentices of Jesus, to go make other disciples of Jesus. And this is what Paul is getting at in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. Easy one to remember. He says, oh, I don't know if I have that one in there. Okay. And what I've heard from you in the, or what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. Okay. So 
Um, what you have got, so what Paul's telling Timothy there is, hey, Timothy, what you have gotten from me in learning how to apprentice under Jesus, teach others, not only teach them how to apprentice under Jesus, but teach them how to teach others how to apprentice under Jesus. And so you see that we're not just called to make disciples, we're called to make disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. And when I say we, I don't mean the ministry of Vineyard Northwest. You're the church. You are the ones called to do this. We are the ones called to do this. All of us, everyone in this room, anyone who says I'm a part of the body of Christ, you are called to make disciples. That is a part of being a part of the mission of Jesus. And if you are praying for people at your job or you're you know, praying for your classmates at your school, that's great, keep doing that. But that should not be in place of making disciples. Making disciples has to be a priority as well for all of us. If we wanna really be true and faithful to what Jesus called us to do as the church, we're called to make disciples. I'm gonna skip one of my points. Leaving everything behind to follow Jesus looks like wasting your life on him. It's a good word though, so. Lastly, leaving everything behind to follow Jesus is saying yes when he asks you to lay down the hard thing that you need to lay down. In Mark 10, we see this happen. This is the story of the rich young ruler and let's read it, 21 and 22. Looking at him, Jesus showed love to him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But he was deeply dismayed by these words and went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. So this guy who you might have heard before called the rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus first tells him, hey, obey these commands. And then the rich young ruler says, I've been doing those my whole life. Is there anything else? And Jesus is like, oh, yeah, by the way, sell all of your property and all of that you own. Give it to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And the rich young ruler doesn't do it. Why? Because the rich young ruler was coming to Jesus to not, he was coming to Jesus to learn what he needed to do to follow him not what he needed to give up to follow him. And that can be an easy mindset for us to have. What do I have to do to follow Jesus? I'll do anything, Lord. I'll pray an extra hour a day. I'll do evangelism at Kroger. I'll do all this. And all that is good, but he might actually first be telling you no before you think of anything else to do. You're actually gonna have to lay this thing down. That it's actually gonna be giving something up that takes you into the next level of health, and discipleship, not something else that you're going to do. And this was my experience. Like, 2018, I had to make a choice like this. To give you some context, when I first started following Jesus, I just had this feeling that I was going to do something great for the kingdom. And I don't know if it was naive optimism or arrogance and youthful arrogance and pride or a mindset that was 
free from the bitterness and the jadedness and the skepticism and the cynicism that comes from failure. I don't know what it was, but I just had this internal belief that I was going to do something great for the kingdom. And a few, few years later, my friend Wilson and I started a Bible study for our friends that eventually blew up into this citywide young adult ministry called House Group. And it was crazy, the stuff that was going on. We had five different locations in the city. We had, at one point, 85 leaders in the group. That's just people that were leading, and, and they would do various things, from lead Bible studies to being on the prayer team to um, other even more strategic things. And, and the power of evangelism, I know you guys have heard me talk about this before, but the power of evangelism was insane that was happening. Dozens of people every month coming to the Lord just from power evangelism encounters. And, and we had discipleship going on. We had discipleship pairs that would meet. I would track them. At one point, we got to 40 pairs of young adults meeting for discipleship each week. And all this success and all this kingdom and all this, um, all this that was happening was just in line with the thought I'd always had that, yep, I'm going to do something great for the kingdom. And all of that was great, um, and, and the, the, the house groups eventually, after a year, became a ministry of Vineyard Northwest. Will and I came on staff, and we started doing more for the church. Um, but that whole time in that, those early years of me working here, I always viewed my job here as temporary. I was like, house group is the thing I'm going to do with my life. This is just a temporary way that God's blessed me with so I can make some money and get some more experience, but probably not too long from now, House Group's going to become its own thing and get bigger than Vineyard Northwest and spread throughout all the country and the world. And <laughs> I genuinely believed it. Ask anyone. I believed it. And so that was my mindset. Well, in 2018, we hired a consultant, and the consultant took a look at our church, and he said, look, you guys have a lot of amazing things going on, and this house group ministry is amazing, but it kind of feels like this house group ministry and the church are not in harmony and not in alignment. It's like the house group is just kind of like, for lack of a better term, feeding off of the church for resources to do what it wants. And, and the consultant recommended some measures that would... Um, result in that would solve that problem and long story short in that moment I realized that I had a decision to make I realized that if I wanted my dream of you know doing this for the rest of my life these house groups to stay alive that, that it was time for the house groups to disassociate from Vineyard Northwest and it sounds crazy it sounds like because, um, I mean, looking back on it, the, the fact that that was even an idea in my head is, is wild to me. But, but this was my dream, you know? Like, I, I read about pastors who uh, started a young adult ministry, and that became their church. You know, I'm like, wow, at 22, John Mark Comer started this young adult ministry, and it became his church, and this other pastor at 23, and I'm like, I was 22 when these house groups started. Like, I'm, I'm living out the same thing that I've seen. And so um, it was really hard for me to make that decision. But upon seeking the Lord, I knew that he was not calling me to do that. 
And I also knew that in saying no to going my own way and doing my own thing, that God was probably going to bring this house group, this ministries chapter to a close, and that I was probably going to do something a little different for a while. And it was a painful, painful yes to say to the Lord, because again, this was my dream. Um, but I did, and, and I'll tell you that there is nothing that I've done in the last 10 years that has been better for my walk with Jesus and my relationships with people than making that decision. And it was because that actually was the biggest idol in my life. <laughs> you know, I, I was, I wanted to do something great for God. And if God's involved, good, you know, that's good, because that's what it should be about. But really, it was my ambition, it was my own, it was my own um, desire to achieve. And God told me to let it, God, as I look back on it, he had been telling me in many other ways, but God was telling me to let go of it. And God might be telling you something similar. It could be a dream that you've had that you've been clinging to and trying to force it to happen. It could be something else. But really going all in to follow Jesus means even letting go of those things, even letting go of your dreams, even letting go of the thing that your heart is burning for, even letting go of the picture of your future that you always thought would happen. Sometimes it involves letting go of those things. But from that, will, I mean, one, you're just obeying Jesus, but from that will come incredible health and fresh passion for the Lord. So I want you to think about how is the Lord calling you to take a step of growth in leaving everything behind to follow Jesus and not just following him for what you can get out of him, but following him for what he can get out of you? What's he calling you to lay down? What's he calling you to pick up? How's he calling you to adjust your priorities? Why don't you stand with me? We're gonna do a little bit of ministry. Thank <laughs> you.